All right, well, good morning. Good morning, good morning. It's good to gather with you. If you guys can go ahead and uh, make your way back to your seats. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is good to be with you this morning. It was a joy uh, to worship with you through song, a joy just to sing about our God and King and to hear our voices lifted up together. What a gift it is to gather together as the church. And I'm looking forward now as we dive into 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, and Tammy's going to be reading our scripture this morning. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brother so that our boasting about you may not prove vain in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and to arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift not as an exaction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy, awesome God, as we sang earlier, you are so good. And we pray that you'd help us to believe that. God, you are overflowing in loving kindness towards us. You are overflowing in grace towards us. Not because we deserve it, but because that's who you are. 
And so we pray that you'd help us now by your spirit to receive your good word. God, would you use this time in your word to instruct us and transform us? Help us to see and savor Jesus this morning so that we can continue to strive to follow him in every aspect of our lives. Thank you for this time. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, it's pretty common at the beginning of a year for people to do something. Make New Year's resolutions, right? Things, goals, ideas that you want to do or accomplish over the next 365 days. But perhaps another name for these could be statements of good intention. I mean, when you make them, you intend to do them. Things like working out or eating better, maybe getting out of debt. You decided I'm going to read a certain amount of books or I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. You're going to start that house project. You're going to finish the one that you didn't finish last year. The list could go on and on. I mean, you get excited and fired up. You're ready to go, committed to seeing this thing through. But your resolution, your statement of good intention, it's just the beginning. What matters isn't your good intention. What matters is actually following through. Last week, we dove back into our sermon series called Old Made New. We're in the book of 2 Corinthians, a letter that the Apostle Paul has written to the church at Corinth. And it's a very unique letter, a very personal letter written to this local church. And in our text last week, we saw that Paul was encouraging the Corinthians and also encouraging us, this is God's word to us, to be radically generous. Radically generous. When I say radical, what I mean by that is to, to be almost extreme from the world's perspective, to be so different than what anybody would expect of you to go above and beyond. And he did that by giving us two examples, the Macedonian churches and the ultimate example, Jesus. We saw this in verse nine. Look back to verse nine. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Not rich in material things, but rich in grace, getting to experience fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because Jesus chose to come and enter into humanity to rescue and redeem you. He provides the ultimate example of radical generosity. And we learn that it's this radically generous grace that actually motivates and empowers radical generosity. See, Paul wants us to understand that what we do with what we have isn't just a matter of personal finances and planning. It's a matter of understanding the gospel. It's a matter of understanding grace and its implications for our lives. And it's so important that Paul spends two chapters in this letter talking about it. And so we're taking these three Sundays, last Sunday today and next week to work through it. And today, what we'll see is, is our call is not only to be radically generous, but also faithfully generous. See, the Corinthians, they had good intentions. They had good intentions with their generosity, but they were tempted to not faithfully follow through. So Paul wants to help them with that in a really practical way. And what he encourages them in, what he challenges them in, can be an encouragement and challenge to us as well. Because all of us, from time to time, are also tempted to be maybe have good intentions with our generosity, but struggle to faithfully follow through. And like I said last week, talking about money can be challenging. And we come into this at different places in our own life, our own experiences. Maybe some of you are, are gathering here today and you aren't yet a follower of Jesus, or you're checking out who this church is and what it's about. 
What I want you to hear today above everything is we're not talking about so much the practicalities of money and resources. We're elevating Christ. Because of who he is, it impacts how we live. So come this morning with an open mind and an open heart. Lean into what God would have for you because this is God's good good word for us. And the spirit who's already been at work this morning wants to continue to do a work in your life and in our life together. My hope is that no matter where you're at, this will help you and help our church as we rest in and as we reflect on the glorious grace we've received in and through Jesus to be both radically generous and faithfully generous to the glory of God and for the good of others. So with that, let's look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and may God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Our section today, as you just heard read, is a bit longer, and it's a little bit of an odd text here as Paul writes, as this letter can be tricky and challenging at different points and different times to figure out how to preach and how to communicate what God is trying to say. But as we bridge these two chapters, 8 and 9, we're going to break it down into three sections or three points to help us try and understand The first is an encouragement from Paul through wisdom, an encouragement through wisdom. We see this in verses 10 through 15. As I mentioned last week, and if we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul in that letter actually instructs the Corinthians as it relates to their giving, their generosity. He says, every week, I want you to set aside money to give, to give towards the work of the ministry, to the advancement of the gospel, and in this case, in particular, to give towards the relief of a church in Jerusalem who was struggling. And the Corinthians committed to do that. They said, yeah, we're in. We're we're willing to do that. At least they were at one point. And they were zealous to do that. But Titus has come back, one of Paul's co-workers in the gospel, and said they, they don't have the gift ready yet. They had good intentions, but weren't fully ready to follow through. So Paul's encouraging them. He's encouraging them to be faithful to their commitment. That's why he says what he does in verses 10 and 11. We looked at this a little bit last week, but want to start here today. Look at verses 10 and 11 again. Paul writes, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be marked by your completing it out of what you had. They started to do it. They hadn't followed through yet. They hadn't completed this yet. And so Paul's continuing to encourage them to be radically generous. He's continuing to encourage them to be faithfully generous through giving them wisdom on how to actually do that. We see that beginning in verses, verse 12 and verse 12 through 15. Verse 12, he says, for if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. See, what Paul's getting at is not only that their generosity should be voluntary, no one's making them do this, it's an overflow of their relationship with Christ, but also that it should be proportionate to what they have. Now, this is really good wisdom for us as well. See, a lot of times I think we hear or start to think about generosity or think about our resources, and our first inclination is, tell me what counts. Like, how how much is enough? We, We were looking for a law. Tell me what generosity really looks like so that I know that I'm checking that box off. How do I know how much is enough to be considered generous? But wisdom calls us and grace calls us not to look to rules and laws. We don't earn our approval with God through our obedience. 
We don't check boxes off so that God will look on us favorably. He's already lavished grace on us in Christ. We saw that in verse 9. Jesus came to save you from your sin so that you experience the riches of grace and fellowship with God. And we're not looking for rules and laws. Paul is concerned about the heart. See, the heart is where the motivational structure of your life resides. Out of the heart you speak, out of the heart you do, out of the heart you live, out of the heart you worship. So Paul wants to say, what's going on in your heart here? That's what I want you to think about. So your generosity isn't so much about the amount that you give or what you do with your time and your talents. It's the motive behind it. Mark's going to get into that a little bit more next week in our last sermon in this section. But we see this principle all throughout the Old Testament. In the sacrificial system that God set up, at the end of the day, what God cares about isn't the number of sacrifices and the quality of those sacrifices as much as he cares about the heart of the people who are offering them. He wants your heart and the posture of your heart to be towards him. This reminds me of the story, story of the widow's gift at the temple. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, we see this story. It says, and he, meaning Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. He's watching people coming and giving. Many rich people put in large sums, right? They're actually bringing like dollars and coins. There's no checks. There's no Apple Pay or anything like that. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, this is a teaching moment for Jesus. He's bringing his disciples around to point something out to them. He says, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Now we don't know what the disciples are thinking in that moment, but you can imagine they're scratching their heads a little bit going, that guy just had like a trunk full of money he brought or a bag full of money he brought and she just had two little coins. Jesus, what are you talking about? Clearly she didn't give more. But then he says this, for they all contribute out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. They were giving out of kind of like the excess. They'd already lived a comfortable life, giving out of their abundance, but she's giving out of her poverty. She's saying, man, I'm going to give radically. I'm going to give sacrificially. And so maybe some people gave more in actual dollars, but when considered in proportion to what they have, to what the widow has, the widow gives more. And Paul told us back in verse 3 that the Macedonians gave according to their means, even beyond their means, but the Macedonians are meant to be an example for us, not a measuring stick. We shouldn't look to other people to gauge whether we're being generous or not, comparing ourselves to them, saying, do I measure up to them or not? It's about what's going on in your heart. This also means that when Paul says, give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have, it's an encouragement for your generosity to be marked by wisdom, not wishful thinking. What I mean by that is you're actually looking at the resources you have and saying, God, help me to have wisdom. Lead me by your spirit to know what I should do with what I have right now at this moment. Not thinking, man, one day I'll be generous. Once I have a more high paying job, once I have more time on my hands, then I'll be able to use my resources to do these things. No, God's asking you now in this moment, God, Here's everything. What do you want me to do with this? All that you've given to me. In verses 13 through 15, we see another possible objection that the Corinthians have. And we have to understand, Paul's kind of addressing these possible objections they have because the Corinthians were 
often tempted to push back on Paul and say, wait a minute, I, I don't know about this. We see another one here in verses 13 through 15. Let me read them for us again, these verses. It says, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Paul's addressing a posture that they might have, which is kind of convinced me. I mean, why should we help them? To which Paul again encourages them through wisdom. Now, fairness here isn't about quid pro quo. It's about a willingness to serve one another. You don't go help your friend move so that when it's your turn to move, they have to do it. Right? That's conditional relationship. But generosity isn't based on conditions. It's born out of a gospel heart and a gospel life that's been changed by the reality of who Christ is. Paul's giving practical help here, but we have to realize not only today in this sermon, but anytime you read God's word, that application is never disconnected from grace. It's never disconnected from the gospel. It's never disconnected from what Christ has done for you. God saved you from your sin, not because you deserved it, not because you could pay him back, not because you're a good person or you did good things. No, he did it according to his mercy, which he poured out on you richly through Jesus. Paul, again, wants to encourage generosity that's rooted in grace. He wants us to be generous like Jesus was generous to us. Back to verse 9 again. This is the pinnacle of all this. We can't understand what Paul's talking about here if we move on from this. It's rooted in this, that Jesus gave up all of his glory so that you could experience it. You could be rich. This is a call to the Corinthians to serve their brothers and sisters in need because family helps family. Churches have the opportunity to come alongside of churches and help one another for the advancement of the gospel. There's no turf war with churches. At least there shouldn't be. We're in the game together. We have the same purpose. We have the same vision, the same mission to go and make much of Christ to the ends of the earth. And so when we see other brothers and sisters in need, other churches in need, other works of ministry happening locally, globally, seeing good works happening down in Mexico to disciple those in need, and those who maybe don't have a witness of the gospel, we say, yes, I want to be a part of that. Paul's also pointing out to the Corinthians, listen, one day you might be in need. Someone will come and help you. But right now, the Jerusalem church is in need, and you have the ability to do something about that. Now, why do they have this ability? Paul's telling them because God has provided it for you. God is sovereign over your resources. He's sovereign over your time. He's sovereign over your gifts. He's sovereign over your money. Anything you have is because God saw fit for you to have it at this point in time. That's what he's getting at in verse 15. He's referencing back to Exodus when God provided manna for the people. He's saying, God set it up this way. He provided everything that you need, but it's not just for you. It's so that you can bless and serve others as well. Paul's point, we are in this together because Jesus brought us together. We're in this together because Jesus brought us together. So be eager. Look for opportunities to bless other churches, to bless your family. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't enjoy things in life. God gave us the ability to taste. 
God gave us the ability to look out and enjoy his creation. We're meant to be able to enjoy these things. What it means is, is that the aim of your life is not personal pleasure. The aim of your life is not personal pleasure at the expense of being radically and faithfully generous to others. And as Paul said, this is to your benefit. There's joy in this for you. There's blessing in this for you, for God's glory and for the good of others. Brothers and sisters, what would happen if we were generous like this as individuals or as a church? What keeps us from doing this? One practical element of help in this is that it takes purpose and planning to move towards faithful generosity. It takes purpose and planning to move towards generosity in light of what Paul's talking about here. In other words, you have to have an awareness of what you have if you're going to actually be generous. That's why things like budgets are really, really helpful. Now, some of you, the word budget is the B word, and it's not something I want to talk about. But this is a really helpful thing, a helpful tool for you to be able to say, well, God, what have you given me? How, how do I know what I have so that I can know how I'm being generous? Some of you maybe excel in that. Some of you struggle with that. And that's okay because there's resources and tools and a community of people around you that would love to help you with that. We do a class on a regular basis called Financial Peace. The next one's coming up in October. Make plans to sign up for that. But if you have questions about what it looks like for you to actually assess the resources you have, find a brother, find a sister who you see is gifted in that and ask them, hey, can you help me with this? I just don't exactly know what to do. We're a community together in this. But it isn't just about wise personal planning that will help the Corinthians and help us to be faithfully generous. We also need accountability through community. We see this in verses 16 through 24. In this next section, what Paul's doing is essentially telling the Corinthians why he's sending this group of people who are presently standing in front of them, right? He didn't email this letter to them. There's a group of people that are handing them this letter, and in the letter, Paul's telling the Corinthians, why are these people standing in front of you? And we learn from verse 16 through 24 that there are at least three of them there. Titus, who's already been mentioned, an unnamed but well-known Macedonian preacher, and another unnamed brother. What Paul's doing is he's credentialing these people to the Corinthians, saying, hey, these, these people are here for a reason. They're not just a random group of people, not just a random disconnected group of people. They're coming for a purpose. See, Paul could have just sent a letter via a messenger, but he sends this contingency of people for a reason. He's telling them these are solid guys, and they love Jesus, and they love his church. They're faithful, and they're for you. So don't hold back. Lean in because they care for you. They're not here to twist your arm. Paul takes his shepherding role seriously. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter tells us that pastor elders are meant to be examples to the flock. So he wants to set an example for the Corinthians here about accountability. That yes, these brothers are here to hold you accountable to what you said you were going to do, but you know what? I'm accountable as well. Look at verses 19 through 21. Paul writes, and not only that, but he has been appointed talking about this Macedonian preacher, he's been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace, as we take this gift to Jerusalem. It's being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about the generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. This group that's in Corinth to help the Corinthians 
do what they said they were going to do, will also accompany Paul to Jerusalem with the gift. And here's the reason what Paul's saying here is that so no one can accuse Paul. No one can accuse anyone that is a part of this group of skimming off the top or of stealing. You know, there's a shady fundraising tactic that maybe you've heard of or experienced before where an organization decides they need to raise some money and this third party will come along and say, hey, we'll help you raise that money. How much money do you want to raise? Let's say it's a million dollars. You know, we'll go raise a million dollars on your behalf and we will give you that million dollars. We guarantee it. And then that third party goes out and raises money in the name of this organization, but they raise $1.5 million and they pocket the 500,000. No one has to know. They told the organization they would give them a million. The giver thinks they're giving to that organization, but they take some off the top and keep it for themselves. See, Paul wants to make sure that we are crystal clear that he's not doing anything like that. That every last penny given to help the relief of the saints in Jerusalem will make its way to Jerusalem and not into his pocket or anyone else's pocket. He does this because he says it's honorable, it's pleasing in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of people. Now, Paul isn't talking about fear of man here. He's talking about integrity, of living a life above reproach. If the Corinthians had any reason not to give, he didn't want it to be because they thought their gift might not make it to what Paul said it was going towards. Accountability through community, both for the Corinthians and for Paul, is another way to help them be faithfully generous. But you know, we can learn something from this as well for us as a church and as individuals to help us be faithfully generous. You know, we can think about all that God's called us to, to going and making disciples and doing ministry and doing discipleship. And we can think about zeal and we can think about certain gifts that are helpful for that. But you know what? Two gifts that are vital to that are administration and organization. We don't talk about these very often. Man, we have some wonderfully gifted people at our church that help us to do these kinds of things. When I think about our administrative staff and all the things they do behind the scenes, when it comes to our budget and our finances in particular, I think of Sarah Jane and Jane Suter. I think of Dave Falk, one of our elders, and Vince. And not only that, we have a group of members that make up our financial advisory committee. David, Ann, Tom, Cindy, Christy, Mike, Chip, thank you for serving our church in this way. Thank you for giving up your time and thinking through the resources God has given us so that we can be above reproach in every dollar that's being given to our church. Because listen, we want the entirety of our budget. We're going to present our new budget on August the 1st. We want the entirety of our budget to be about making and equipping growing disciples of Jesus Christ. Every aspect of what we do enables us to encourage people in Christ as we are able to gather in this room because you are faithful in giving. We're able to support ministries down in Mexico and plant churches and send missionaries and disciple the next generation because we use all of those resources towards that end. We want every aspect of our budget to be able to do that. And it's these brothers and sisters that I just mentioned that help us to stay faithful. They help us to stay focused on that when it comes to the resources that you give. It's why you as members vote on the budget. Not a decision for a few to make, it's a decision for all of us to make. What are we going to do with what God's provided for us? As a church, we're committed to transparency. So if you ever have questions about this, please come talk to any of the elders or the members of the Financial Advisory Committee. It's accountability through community. And we do it in order to honor God and faithfully make much of Jesus together. But you know, accountability through community isn't just for the church as a whole. 
I wonder if we don't need to take another step and think about how this applies to our life as individuals as well. You know, we live in a culture of anonymity when it comes to our generosity. And some of that comes from a good place. Jesus, after all, in Matthew chapter six, told us not to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when it comes to giving. In other words, give in secret. But with that, it's easy to hide when we're not being generous, to hide what we're actually doing with our resources. See, Jesus's point was he didn't want you to grandstand in your generosity. He didn't want to show off with your giving so that you would garner the praise of people. It wasn't a call to be unaccountable or a call to be isolated from community when it comes to being faithfully generous. Brothers and sisters, we can uphold Jesus' teaching on generosity and invite accountability into our lives to help us be radically generous, to help us be faithfully generous, not to the praise of man, but to the glory of God. So let me ask you a question. What would it look like for you to invite a few people into this part of your life? To say, hey, here are my resources. Here's what God's blessed me with. Here's what my income is. Here's what our budget looks like right now. And not inviting them in so they can, you know, like punch you in the throat over it or something like that, or push you down or ridicule you or shame you over it, but asking them like, help me look at this. Am I missing something here? Am I thinking rightly about this? Ask me questions about what I'm doing with what I have so that I can be honest before the Lord and before you. What's keeping you from inviting somebody like that into this part of your life? Listen, we're a community of grace. We've experienced radical grace through Christ to save us and transform us. We're a people in process of being and becoming more and more like Jesus. So listen to me. You don't need to be embarrassed. You don't need to experience shame over what you have or how you use your money right now. But don't miss an opportunity to grow by keeping this part of your life a significant part of your life to yourself. See it as an opportunity for you to become more and more like Christ and invite people into that. Paul gives encouragement through wisdom and calls us to accountability through community. And now he calls the Corinthians and us to generosity through faithfulness. We see this in verses one through five. Look at verses one through four in chapter nine. Let me read them for us. It says, now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia saying that Achaia has been ready since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians came with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. This is a pastor pastoring his people. We see his pastoral heart on display. In these few verses, Paul is patiently and cl carefully clarifying once again why he's finding the need to write about this, why he's sending these group of guys to stand before them. He cares for them. He wants them to know that he is for them. He isn't cold. He isn't calculated in this. He's also willing to lead them. He shows them great patience with not just showing up, saying, I'm here. Is it ready yet? He's still giving them more time to follow through. That's why he says, it's for him to ride. He, he's almost kind of saying, I'm, I'm beating a dead horse here. I know that I am because I'm confident. I, I have confidence in you. He knows, he believes they'll be faithful to follow through. He knows that they're ready. He knows that they're willing. He's giving them a pastoral pep talk here. 
I know you guys. I know that you are able to do this because you understand the gospel. And he's so confident in them that he's boasted about them. He's bragged about them with who? With the Macedonians, the people that Paul used as an example for the Corinthians. He went to Macedonia and said, guys, you got to hear about the, the church at Corinth. They are amped up. They are ready to give to this. This is so exciting that they're all in for this. Isn't that encouraging? And you know what Paul says? He says, their zeal, the Corinthian zeal actually stirred the Macedonians up to be zealous in giving. Now Paul's saying, we got to follow through now. you got to follow through now. I'm writing to you to encourage you to do what you said you were going to do. Because at the moment, they had a good intention, but they hadn't seen it through to completion. He wants them to stay true. Because if they don't, not only will they be humiliated, but Paul will be as well. Again, Paul cares for their heart. He cares for their soul. And so he says, verse 5, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. If you guys have been around for a little bit, you know that I have four kids. Three of them are at the age where they're playing with friends, or if we go to an event in, with a church, they're out running around on a, on a Sunday. They're all over the building somewhere. In our neighborhood, we have lots of kids around. Something we do often if they're playing and we need to go somewhere else is, I'll go up to them and say, hey guys, five more minutes. Five more minutes before we have to go. And part of that is to give them a warning ahead of time so that when I come back five minutes later and say, okay, it's time to go, there's not like, wait, what? We have to go now? No, it's the expectation is there when it's time to go and we say it's time to go, it's actually time to go. Now for the Corinthians, like I said, there's no Venmo, there's no PayPal. Somebody actually had to come to receive the gift so they could take it to Jerusalem. And Paul's saying, I'm going to arrive soon to pick up that gift. But I'm sending these guys ahead of time to make sure everything's ready to go. He's giving them a five-minute warning. He's giving them a five-minute warning so that when he gets there, he wants their perceived readiness to be a real readiness. He wants their perceived willingness to be a real willingness. He wants their good intentions to translate into following through with faithful generosity. But again, this isn't just about actions or checking boxes. He doesn't just want the outcome to be follow through, he wants their heart to be in, in it. He wants them to have the right attitude. It's a willing gift, not an exaction. It's not coercion. It's not manipulation. This isn't motivated by fear, but by grace. It's a response to the grace of God in their lives. He's calling them. He's calling us to live like Jesus, to be faithfully generous like Jesus. Goes back to verse 9 again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Before the foundation of the world, the Father planned redemption for humanity through his Son. And the Son willingly and faithfully came to complete this rescue mission. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus says he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. In Luke chapter 9, it says that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, to die in your place. He was committed to seeing it through. In Hebrews chapter 12, the author says, for, joy, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. When everyone else scattered, when everyone else ran away, Jesus stayed. And not for those who could pay him back. Not for those who deserved it. For you and me, who are running the opposite direction for him, Jesus was faithful. He didn't just have good intentions. He faithfully followed through. 
And now you, if you've placed your faith in him, you are the recipient of his faithful generosity, of his lavish and redeeming grace. He has lavished on you and saved you and brought you into relationship with him. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that's available to you. That invitation is available to you so you can experience God's grace in your life also. Listen, you can't be faithfully generous by your own strength. You can't be faithfully generous by your own willpower. You might do it for a little while, but it won't last. The world will tempt you to use your resources and your time and your money and talents to do other things. The ability to endure in faithful generosity comes from a transformed life and a transforming life that is rooted in our faithful king. Brings that quote that I read last week back up again from Tim Keller. He says, in order to become a gracious, generous person, don't sit down with a calculator, look to the cross. It has to be the first place that we go. You can't be faithfully, you can be faithfully generous because Jesus was faithfully generous to you first. So what happens with the Corinthians? Well, Paul makes his visit and he actually writes the book of Romans from Corinth. And in Romans chapter 15, he says this, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. He's talking about that gift, that financial gift. And he says for Macedonia and Achaia, that's where Corinth is have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. It seems like they did follow through on their good intentions. What about you? What about you? Will you be faithfully generous? What about us as a church? I don't want us just to talk about vision and get excited about the things we could do. I want us to actually follow through, not on those possibilities and be radically generous and be faithful to see it through to completion. So again, church, let's look to Jesus, who is radically and faithfully generous to us, and then let's pray and plan to be radically and faithfully generous ourselves. May our yes be yes to all that God leads us in for his glory and the good of others. Amen.